On this episode of Engaging Podcasts, our guest is Adana Alexander, who teaches population health. Thank you so much for your time of being with us, Adana. I first just want to ask you, what is active learning to you? Sure. Brandy, it's so great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, first, I want to say that active learning is not right just the instructor lecturing to the students. You know, I need students to think about the content, talk about the content, and apply the content. And so for me, active learning is doing activities that help to engage those critical thinking skills. How do you do active learning? So um, I use several different strategies, um, but the one that I'd like to highlight today is the use of worksheets. Um, And the purpose of the worksheets is for students to actively engage in the class content, like while they're in class, right? So oftentimes, um, you know, I'll have a question on the PowerPoint, but it'll also be on the worksheet. And I give them a minute or two to maybe write down their responses using the worksheet. Um, Then I'll have them turn to their neighbor and share. Um, And then I might ask, I'll ask the whole question for a few responses. So that classic think, pair, share strategy, um, but incorporating the worksheet that way. Um, I also, for example, might show a video or some videos in class. And so I'll ask questions on the worksheet and say, as you watch the video, answer the questions um, to help them stay engaged with that video. And then oftentimes there'll be um, questions on the worksheet after the video to have some discussion. Um, Also too, when I do have longer lectures, I will have maybe fill in the blanks or key concepts written on the worksheet and then some space for them to take notes. Um, And just using that as a way to, again, having them engage with the content, listen to me um, and take notes. Um, Another example I just wanna share with the worksheet is that I might provide a case study. And so that case study will be on the worksheet and then there'll be some questions that they can work in groups on um, and I'll call groups to present or something like that. So again, just worksheets to really um, keep the students engaged with the class content. So when you make these worksheets, what kind of um, questions do you put on them? Yeah. So um, for example, actually the the last class that I had, uh, we were looking at complementary and alternative medicine, different modalities of that. And I did show several different videos. So um, one of the questions is, you know, it was a video on Ayurveda. And so I would say, what are the five elements of Ayurveda as you listen? And so have them write that down. Um, But then we would have another question about like, um, what are the, um, what are some examples of the methods that the presenter talked about? Um, And in this particular worksheet, I showed several different videos and I told the students too, that as the questions go, they're, they're going to engage their higher order thinking skills. And so I even labeled them. This is a knowledge question. This is a comprehension question. This is an analysis question. And then showing them that they get a little harder um, as we go through to sort of build upon. Um, so uh, an example of a higher order thinking question would be, okay, now that we've watched this one on, on naturopathy, how is this compared and contrast to the three other methods we just saw? Um, and again, have them answer them and engage with each other. That's really cool. I love that Bloom's taxonomy. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Yes. The Bloom's taxonomy. (laughs) Um, so I have taught in a class just before you, so I've seen, um, 
what your prep looks like as you come into the classroom and you you put the worksheets on the table. Um, how long does it take to get your students to um, just kind of do the thing that you want them to do? That's a really good question. So it's funny. I do place them on the table and I also have a slide that says, while you wait, please pick up the worksheet or a note card or whatever it is, instructions um, to things. Uh, so I, I do have that open as they walk in. So they kind of see that you'll see students sit down and then read it and then get back up and pick up the worksheet. Um, but I would say we're in the what, sixth or seventh week of class now, and it's now becoming more automatic. Um, students just kind of know, because I do it every class, every class they're picking up a worksheet or something from the table. Um, and so now it's just kind of becoming intuitive because then I get those late stragglers too that come into the class. Um, and I think they're starting to catch on that. Okay, I got to pick up this worksheet before I go. So just because I do it for every class, it's becoming um, it's a pattern. So they know what they need to do, but I do have a slide that does say, pick up the worksheets. Yeah. Even when you've set expectations, they're still, it's good to remind, right? Right. Um, so I, as I listen to you talk about this, I think that um, it, it seems like a lot of work. Mm. So what are the benefits to you um, of this type of pedagogy. Yeah, sure. So I will say that, yes, initially it was a lot of work, but now I have these worksheets saved. And so it's just a matter of printing them off, um, and using them. And I will say too, if you have, this is an in-person class we're specifically talking about, but I also use worksheets in my online classes and I have an online version of this particular class, um, that I'm thinking about. And so it, translates over easily, easy in terms of, okay, I'm just going to post these worksheets on my online class as well. Um, but one of the things that I really, I think your question was, why do I use them? Sorry. What's the benefit? What's the benefit? <laughs> right. What's the benefit? So the benefit is, um, keeps the students engaged, right? Um, because it's oftentimes like write the response to the question on the worksheet. Um, also too, it acts as a study guide after class, outside of class. So now they have notes that they can then refer to um, as they prepare for, uh, for this class, there's writing assignments. So as they prepare for their writing assignments, um, it also helps them identify the key concepts for the course, right? Oftentimes, um, and this particular class that we're talking about, I have freshmen up to senior. So you're gonna have various levels of, um, know-how on how to take notes or how to study for a class. Um, so I think that this offers a good preparation um, for them in that they're sort of forced to take notes. And then there's key concepts on the worksheet that they can go like, oh, go back and be like, oh yeah, that's an important thing to know. Um, and I just want to say too, that I've even had students um, in another class or a particular student who I'm doing some mentoring with um, use the worksheets outside, like the she still refers to the worksheets in a current internship type, or it's actually a community-based project that she's doing through a fellowship um, and still utilizing those things. I just had a conversation with her recently where she was talking about, oh, I went back and looked at them. Those were so helpful. Um, That's amazing. It, I know, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> One student that I know of, but I find that that that's really encouraging because I know that she recognizes how important this is to work outside the classroom. Um, and then also just to note that when I do 
uh, midterm evaluations for the course, I often get comments about how the worksheets are really helpful and that I should continue to do them. So students like them and they find them helpful. So that's the benefit. I, as I, I, I thinking about it and, um, you know, like in my own class, if I'm lecturing, which I don't often do, but like I could talk for 70 minutes, 75 minutes and, you know, like I'm talking, talking, talking and students might not pick out the important points. So that's something that I think is really interesting about it is that it's helping your students identify that important point, the important points a lot better, you know, like what are the questions which you'd be asking? And um, yeah. I also keep um, sort of a blank copy of the worksheet at my side too. So sometimes I'll try and fill it out as students are filling out because I know that um, sometimes what happens is we talk too fast and we get, don't give them enough time to write. And so by doing that, it allows me to sort of gauge like, okay, this is how long it's taking me. That's, that's how it's taking them. And then I also feel like it helps show them that I'm engaged as well um, into the content. Yeah. And I think also probably at, at times is a good, a good lesson for yourself, right? Like I asked these questions, but like, what would I say if I were asked the questions? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I always it, like the, my version of that is because I'm a mathematician. If I'm going to assign my students a problem, then I should be able to do it first, right? Like, and I I have just been like uh, that one before, and not and I mean not a lot, but it it has happened that I've just been like, you know what? I don't know how to do that one right now. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna have to think more. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, if I could share too, I did this one activity where I asked students to kind of look. Uh, there were statements, and it was talking about our own sort of biases and just thinking, doing some self-reflection. Um, and then we did this activity where we walked around the room and stood next to the statements and then talked about, you know, that as a group. And and I filled out the worksheet and I participated as well so that they could see that, you know, I too have my own biases and I can, you know, I can reflect in, on them and, 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 and think about why I have them, which is what I was asking them to do. Yeah. But I think that's a great way to model that, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's zoom out to a more philosophical question. Why do you do active learning? Yeah, I do active learning um, because I do it because one, it's more fun, honestly. <laughs> Agreed. Um, one, it's more fun. Um, the other thing is that, I mean, a, as a learner myself, when I am able to think about things and talk about things out loud and apply concepts to other situations or, or take what I'm learning and try to apply it in another situation, I learn better that way. And so, you know, our students are adult learners and that is going to be beneficial to them as well. And so, um, I do it because I think it, it also engages various, uh, parts of our brains. Um, and you know, I've heard in participating in various things through pace, right. I've learned that we all aren't just visual learners. We aren't just all auditory learners, um, or kinesthetic or, or whatever it is. But if we engage all of these senses, then we are going to learn better. Um, and so, 
I take that to heart and try and engage these different senses and active learning allows you to do that. Um, active learning has a lot of different ways of looking at content um, and not just being lectured at, but to take more of a um, proactive role in, in learning. I love to hear other people say these things, especially the fun one, right? Like we can have like big lofty goals and huge philosophical reasons for doing things, but also like, I agree it is, it's just more fun. Like, yeah, I have lectured in a class and found myself to be boring. Like (laughs) if, if I think I'm boring, surely everybody else does yeah. too. <laughs> I mean, I have to admit, I've heard a lot of professors say that, yeah, I could talk for 75 minutes. Honestly, I don't think I could. I don't think I could actually just straight talk for 75 minutes. And um, so that's another reason why I use it. <laughs> but I, I have had practice outside um, of higher ed using it. And I just think that it's a... Um, just a better way to learn. We're all, we all come with experiences, even when we think about our students who we, you know, maybe are younger and maybe less experienced, they still have experiences um, that they can add to the conversation. Um, and likewise, we want them to be able to, to take what they've, you know, think about what they've experienced and how this might relate or not relate right? And they can't do that if they're just listening to us. Right. Yeah. From a more selfish standpoint, maybe. Um, I appreciate that I have a lot to learn from them in that way. And so like, if I'm lecturing, I mean, maybe some people give great lectures that are better than I am at it, but um, if I'm lecturing, then I'm not hearing what students are saying. And so it's, they teach me sometimes, you know, and right. I mean, a lot of times they teach me, I should say, but, but like specifically about math, like they'll be like, Hey, what about this thing? And I'm like, Oh, I never thought of that. (laughs) I think also to it allow, you know, you can also see where maybe there's some missteps or just misunderstanding or miss, you know, just, or they weren't quite um, getting what you hoped they were getting. And so by doing active learning, you're getting feedback from them. You're hearing them talk or putting things in their own words. And so that way you can kind of think, you can sort of see, okay, yeah, they're totally on the right track or maybe not so much. Let's revisit that. Agreed. So much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's all of my questions. Do you have anything uh, specific that you would like to add? Um. Well, one thing that I guess I'd like to add, since you mentioned you, I'm coming into a class after you, is that um, I really like this engaging spaces that uh, SAM or the PACE Center is offering um, because it allows for, like, I want to create an environment that's like, okay, we're going to talk, we're going to share, like, you're not just going to sit here and listen to me. Um, and so that space with the tables and the movable chairs and the whiteboards, I think really helps facilitate that um, environment that I'm looking for um, to encourage active learning. So um, for our listeners, Adana is talking about um, the Leadrain Building 208. Uh, my favorite thing about that classroom is there's no I- identifiable front of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, because the podium is aside from where the screens are. Oh, and so right. if you're lecturing, the students aren't looking at you. 
um, if you are lecturing with a PowerPoint um, at a chalkboard or the whiteboard, they would be. But um, yeah, so that's my favorite thing about it because it's it's sort of if you're going to be in this room, you better be active. <laughs> there's, there's nothing else to do there. Right. But, um, plenty of other rooms on campus for lecturing still. <laughs> right. Right. I'm glad you brought that up. I love that room so much. <laughs> and thank you for spending your time listening to Engaging Podcasts. Our next guest on this episode is Eric Connolly. Thank you for being with us today, Eric. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me, uh, before we get started, what is your specialty? Sure. Um, my specialty is in biosocial criminology, which focuses on examining biological and social factors for juvenile delinquency and criminal behavior. Oh, wow. That sounds really cool. <laughs> I imagine you like it. <laughs> um, so let's jump right into the questions. What is active learning to you? Sure. Uh, active learning to me is providing instruction that I think encourages students to understand the concepts that we talk about in class in depth. Um, and these concept, these concepts are going to be important uh, because they're going to help them understand central arguments of theories that we talk about in class or statistical methods that we go over. And I think uni using active learning to engage with students um, is a way to teach in depth rather than just surface learning. And it's going to help them understand information better. Great. So how do you do active learning? Yeah, so there are various different ways that I like to do active learning. Um, I teach an intro to criminology course and one of the things that I like my, my students to do at the end of each course when we're going over a new theory is to ask them to reflect on their own previous life events or possibly somebody that they know and see if that theory that we just went over could explain some of the development of themselves or possibly somebody that they know. And I think that um, doing this is engaging and it allows them to kind of reflect on what we went over, but also apply the knowledge that they learn in class to their real life. And I think that uh, can really stay with them longer after they leave the class. And then the second way uh, that, that I like to do active learning is when, when I teach my master's or PhD students um, biosocial criminology, I like to use a, a classroom that's located in the Perkle building on campus uh, that's specifically designed for active learning. I think you may know the room that, that I'm talking about, uh, but the, the walls are covered with dry erase surfaces. Uh, there are seven large screen TVs. There are a few tables that have wheels on them, chairs with wheels as well. And then each table has an HDMI hookup where students can actually hook up their laptops and display what's on their screen on those TVs. And the reason why I like to use that, that classroom for my graduate students is because I often like to have them share um, their research paper ideas that they're typing on their laptops during class on the TVs. We often go over running different types of statistical models to test 
the hypotheses that they're going to be talking about in their research paper, and they can actually project what their code looks like on those screens so that each and every student in that classroom can kind of see um, their thought process behind running a certain model. And I think that um, encourages conversation among students for why the student is focusing on one thing compared to the other. And I think it's also a great way to just encourage the flow of new ideas and spark debate um, among myself and students in the classroom. So do they sort of walk around and look kind of a gallery walk of, of the code and ask, you yeah. know, why, why did you do that thing? Or um, So sometimes we have students who are going to project what they're working on on all the TVs in the classroom. And so they don't have to get up and walk around. Uh, but there are a few activities that I've done just because there are dry erase uh, walls in the entire classroom where I ask students to kind of draw a path diagram that's explaining the research question that they're trying to examine in their paper. And so what each student will do is they'll take a marker and they'll go up to the wall and they'll draw it out. And then I want them to present their idea in front of the entire class. So students will get up from one area of the classroom and start to make their way over to the area where they drew their path diagram. And then we kind of make this big circle and we go around the entire classroom. That's really cool. I think there's got to be something about like physical movement. Um, Cause I've done things where students move around the room and they're just like so excited at the end of the class. Right. <laughs> um, and I, I wonder maybe somebody who listens to the podcast can send me some information about, you know, what is the research on physical movement in education? Yeah, um, it's always good to get the blood flowing, you know, and <laughs> walk around. Um, when it has been nice out a few times, I've tried to take students outside, um, even if it's just to walk to a different side of campus and sit down. And uh, there, there's been a pretty good amount of research on being exposed to the outdoors and what, what that can do for positive psychology and learning new ideas and so having them be exposed to um, a place where there's natural sunlight a lot of vitamin d and you know that boosts positivity and if it boosts positivity maybe it can enhance the learning process as well that's really cool so i want to step back to the first thing that you mentioned which is asking students to reflect on their personal experience um, it related to the theories that you're talking about um, have you ever had students with really strong emotional responses then in your class with, with that activity? Absolutely. Um, we've had a few students who have parents who've been in contact with the criminal justice system and hearing them talk a little bit about what some of the collateral consequences of that experience can be for them and the rest of their family has definitely been um, emotional and something that, that really strikes a chord, I think, with many other students in the class. And that's really, I think, maybe one of the reasons why I like to do it is because I think it's a great way to practice inclusivity and have everyone share their own story. Maybe somebody who doesn't really know how a theory that we've gone over in class connects to their own personal life 
they can hear from somebody else who comes from a completely different background and they can kind of illuminate just what type of background they came from and how that theory may actually do a good job of explaining their life development and then the development of many other people from their background. Um, so I think it's a good way to um, understand the individual variability that we have in our classrooms and in the entire country. So my last question then is, why do you do active learning? Why do I do active learning? Um, I do it because I think it's essential for any type of higher learning where you're going to be introduced to complex information. And one of the reasons why I say that it's essential is because oftentimes many of the concepts that we talk about in class, these are things that students have never been exposed to before in their entire life, right? And I think active learning is a way to actually practice the action of learning the knowledge rather than just reading it and regurgitating it on an assessment. So when um, we think about certain things that have stuck with us over the years, I can only speak for myself, but some of those things that still stick with me are things that I've actually done and exercised and actually put into action rather than just something that I thought was a good life philosophy to have. Because I may think that one day, but then if I don't apply it to some aspect of my life, then it could be long forgotten, maybe a week or two down the road. So I think active learning is a great way for um, students to immerse themselves in the material and practice kind of transferring that knowledge to other students and maybe their own students one day. Um, there are a few good quotes out there about active learning, but one of them that has kind of stuck with me, and I forget who said it, but it's um, something along the lines of, if you really want to learn something deeply and like the back of your hand, you have to try to teach it to a child. Because if a child can understand it, then you definitely understand it, and you're doing a good job of walking through all the steps that you need to go through to comprehend it. And then if you comprehend it, you can apply it. Yeah. And it sounds like you're really living that philosophy in your class. You know, you're saying students teach other students. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I try. And um, one of the reasons why I like to do that with my graduate students is because in our PhD program, all of our third year PhD students will be teaching their own classes. Um, starting their, their third year. So I try to get them up in front of the class, practice public speaking, and really try to have them grapple with new material because oftentimes that's the scary part of public speaking, talking about something that you don't truly understand, right? Uh, so if they're able to do that in a classroom of their peers, I think they're going to be in a good position when they do it in front of a classroom of their students. Yeah, we also like as faculty members, we sort of, um, you know, I've taught calculus a whole lot of times. And so I could at this point just sort of like walk into a room and start talking about calculus for a day. Um, but then w when we're graduate students, you know, the the things that we teach 
are much closer to the horizon of our knowledge, right? So, um, I mean, I still feel that way with some classes, <laughs> that they're very close to the horizon of my knowledge. Our graduate system doesn't really, in many disciplines, I mean, certainly not in my discipline, I didn't get a lot of training in how to be a teacher. And so going through that system, it's, it's nice to see someone being like, hey, let me give you a like, even though it's not exactly training, it's good modeling um, where, I don't know, when I was in graduate school, my professors all lectured and, <laughs> and then they were like, go teach. But I guess also this, this movement toward active learning. Um, and when I say this time, I mean, because like, obviously there have been movements toward active learning before, right? The lecture style is kind of the new thing maybe. And then the active learning is something where you're like going back to. And it took a while. Um, so being on the committee that was focused on creating new ways for active learning with, with the QEP committee, um, it, it took some time for me to read up on work that's been done on this approach and really kind of come to terms with my own way of instruction. I think for many people in higher education, we think that active learning has to be only for undergraduate students because it needs to be fun and active and there's not really that much of a focus on how well it's going to be used for understanding concepts and new information. It's just keeping students engaged. And there, there's an important connection there where the more engaged students are, the better their learning outcomes are going to be. At least that's what the research is showing us. And so just because it's fun and exciting and students may want to attend class more frequently, that is kind of scratching the surface of what active learning can offer students in general. Um, if anything, I think active learning is probably more important in graduate student settings than undergraduate student settings because like you mentioned, graduate students are going to be introduced to new concepts that they've never learned about before. Undergraduate students are also going to be introduced to new information, but not as complex as what graduate students are going to be exposed to. So making sure that you're engaging with those students and making sure that they learn actively what those concepts and new um, theories are is going to be instrumental to their success. There's also a, I mean, it, the undergraduate versus graduate thing, there's some like balance you have to do between teaching them a lot of things <laughs> versus teaching them some things very well. Um, I guess the way I say that shows my bias toward active learning, right? <laughs> but um, do you struggle with that balance ever in any of your classes or? Yeah, I think so struggling it, str struggling with balancing, uh, making sure that I'm using active learning consistently across or, or just kind of focusing more on certain topics. Um, 
consistent. Yeah, the, the certain topics is the, so, you know, do you have to let things go that you might want to teach them because of doing active learning? So it kind of slows you down maybe, or maybe it doesn't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for my undergraduate students, I try to incorporate, even if it's something minor, uh, one minor form of active learning into every topic that we cover. Um, it may be asking them to reflect on the theory that we just went over, or it may be an in-class exercise where they're broken up into different groups and there's a competition for which school of thought is going to be the best model to explain criminal behavior. Um, I try to incorporate it as much as possible, even when I know that um, it may be sacrificing some lecture time to cover something that may not be essential, but it's something that I wanted to cover or originally. I would much rather them really learn less information than kind of be exposed to so much that they only retain probably the same amount of information that we're going to be covering and using an active learning technique. It's interesting. So I've been thinking a lot uh, as I teach online classes and maybe they don't go as well as I want um, about the difference between information and knowledge. And I think you just sort of said that there that you're looking for knowledge rather than information, right? Um, or at least that's what I heard. Is <laughs> no, I think you're right. And knowledge is, in my opinion, what I think students should be getting from all their courses in, in college. Information is obviously going to be important when they take an intro course and they're introduced to new ideas, facts about problems in society. So in our field, we give them an overview of what the criminal justice, uh, the criminal justice system is, the sentencing process, um, and all of that. But as they move further on throughout the semester, uh, they're getting knowledge about some things that are more than surface level. And those are going to be extra legal factors or characteristics of those individuals who may be at a higher risk of going through the criminal justice system. And I think having a better grasp about those facts is going to be more important for them to kind of get this really good understanding of what our criminal justice system looks like rather than just facts that they could read on CNN or Fox News one, one day about uh, you know the rates of violent crime. Yeah, that's really, I love it. I love it. I wanted to come take your class. <laughs> Not by any time. And yeah, uh, active learning, you know, it's, it's really, and I'm not just saying this because we're on a podcast that is solely focused on using active learning in college classrooms, but it's really been a game changer for me. Um, and it's something that I try to use as frequently as possible, but not too much. You know, there's always that that sweet spot. Um, but I think that so many students benefit from being actively engaged in the content that you're covering. Um, if you just stand up there and you lecture them and uh, give them new information for an hour and 15 minutes twice a week, they may retain possibly 10 or 15 percent of that information and some of it is just because they have to study 
for their quiz or exam. But if you focus on making sure that they're actively engaged in the information, then like you said, Brandy, that's how knowledge is formed. Um, they, they can really understand it and then I think the big thing is apply it to their own life and then apply it to other things that they, they want to do in their career moving forward. I think that application to their own life is also so important. I mean, I'm a mathematician, so my questions are like, you have 900 bananas, you know, sort of thing sometimes. And I, I, so I, I like to hear you talk about that a lot because it's so difficult in my discipline. Um, and it sort of gets me thinking, you know, how could I do this better? <laughs> and there's always room for improvement, right? You know, just because I use different types of active learning methods in 2021, that doesn't mean that those same methods are going to be used three or four years down the road, right? Right. Um, there are new ways that you can incorporate active learning, and it depends a lot on the topic of the course. So in my biosocial class, half, half the course is dedicated to theory, and the other half is dedicated to, me to the methods that are used to test those theories. So that's why there are different types of active learning methods used for each section. Um, but if I teach another class that's solely on theory, then I'm sure I'm going to have to get creative and develop new ones. Yeah. Yes. I, me too. I mean, every semester I'm sort of like, how am I going to change this? How am I going to change this? I think we all got here, right? Because we're, we wanted to continue to learn in our lives. Um, and I, it's hard for me to imagine that there is a job where you don't learn for the rest of your life, but I don't know, maybe it's out there, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but for us, particularly as faculty members, it's, it's so obvious that the lifetime learning is, you know, I hope, I hope it's there for everybody. But for me, it's like, you know, I'm teaching calculus this way this semester. What can I add and subtract next semester? Um, and I'm never, you know, I'm going to teach calculus by the time I retire for something like 40 or 50 years. So, and I'm never going to be done with, with, with it, I think. It's just going to be. And I think it benefits the faculty member as well as the students where over time, like you just mentioned, we teach courses time and time again, and the material can get dry over time, even if you're incorporating new information that's cutting edge. But uh, being creative about how you're going to translate that information to your students can actually keep the professor engaged as well. And students pick up on that, where, where uh, a professor is passionate about what they're talking about, and they really feed off of that passion. And um, I've seen that on some of my student evaluations, where um, students really picked up on when I was using a new active learning technique, and it was a topic that I do research on, that translated very clearly. And I think it's infectious. Definitely. Okay. Um, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and um, look for me and everybody who listens to our podcast asking to come take your class, maybe. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Thank you so much, Eric. Of course, Brandy. Thank you. <laughs>